morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, this is Michelle and Serena, and this is From From the the Root, Root. a discussion-based podcast that explores holistic wellness through our lived experiences as Black queer people. Hey, we got it right the first time. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) We love a a moment we don't have to re-record. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So... This week's topic is getting grounded after moving. Um, So I thought of this one. I know this is an old episode topic that I thought of because this was years ago around the time when we were starting talks about creating the podcast. But I moved six years ago to New York City and you moved how many years ago to? Three years. Three years ago. Arizona. (laughs) My how time flies and... So when I thought of this, I was just thinking about, I don't remember the statistic, but I know moving is considered one of the most stressful experiences for a person, um, particularly for younger people. But I think regardless of our age, it has a big impact on our physical, mental, emotional, and and even spiritual well-being because we're literally ripping out our roots and moving ourselves somewhere else. And I think like even in that process, like you still have roots in New York, you still have roots in New Jersey, like this is where you grew up. And so, you know, there are those roots that you still have here that you're kind of tending to and then the process of moving to a completely new place and then having to reground yourself and reroot yourself. And so that's today's topic that we're going to get into So the first question I have today, Michelle, is what challenges did you face after moving to a new place and specifically Arizona? I feel like the biggest part about moving was obviously the financial um, Mm -hmm. part because I moved my car across the country and that was about $1,400. I flew here, so that cost money. Finding an apartment here was difficult because I found my apartment online. I didn't get a chance to see it in person because I needed to have a home like as soon as I got to Arizona. So I was just pretty much trusting the the um, res- the apartment complex, the landlords of the apartment complex to hopefully have a nice space. And like I did a virtual tour, but, you know, it's not the same as being able to see it in person because they're going to show you what they want to show you still. Like they're exactly. not going to show you what <laughs> you need to know. Yeah. yeah. So... They're not going to zoom in on the little details that need fixing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't get a chance to ask anybody about like the realities of living there. And the interesting thing is I remember looking at Yelp reviews because I look at Yelp reviews for everything, especially when it came to the apartments, because I feel mm. like that's where people are going to tell you the truth because yeah. they'll they'll take their own photos. And it stopped me from living in many places mm-hmm. because one of the biggest culture shocks I had before moving here was somebody said in the comments of one of the apartment complexes, you know, this place is great. I didn't see any roaches or scorpions. I was like, um, or scorpions. <laughs> You're like, I don't even know to look out for that. <laughs> Hold on a second now. How are you gonna have both? Like right? <laughs> I gotta look out for both. Right? Aren't the yeah. scorpions killing the roaches? Something. Like exactly. So I was just like, wait a minute now. So then I had to do research into that and like where could I live that would not have scorpions? Yeah. And a lot of scorpions tend to live in places that are just newly developed and it takes years to get them out because there were pictures of scorpions in dryers and all kinds of stuff. So I was really grossed out by that and what else? And the roaches too. Like, so the apartment complex I moved into didn't have any reviews that listed roaches or anything in it, which is one of the reasons why I picked it because I was like, okay. look, I just can't be living in that type of environment. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that they just delete the reviews that they don't like. Yes. Yeah. They, I was yeah, going to ask that. I was like, and was it accurate? <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't accurate because when I moved into my place there were tons of roaches coming from different i guess like you know if your your neighbors aren't clean it really doesn't matter how clean you are which was the biggest problem for me because i was so grossed out because i would get the little roaches Mm. that are like telling you that you know 
somebody's not clean somewhere around here somebody else somebody's not clean so that Mm was one and then we would also get sewer roaches which are huge that was really terrifying so it would made me so unnerved that i realized i needed to move somewhere that was going to be more expensive because i could Mm -hmm. not manage living in a place that had roaches so i moved and after like, I think seven or nine months of living there and the apartment I live in now is so much better. Like <laughs> it is very rare that I see a roach. Like I think I saw them like probably the first month of me living here and then I never saw one again. What else? I've never seen a scorpion in any of the places that I've lived in because I think mm-hmm. I've like the towns that I have chosen are towns that have been developed for a while. Yeah. Um, but I have seen scorpions like in general. And yeah, I think if you have an opportunity to see a place in person, it's worth the investment because you don't know how long you're going to be staying. And like once you sign a lease, like that's pretty much it. Like unless you got it like that where you can just break your lease, yeah. you're kind of stuck there. <clears throat> and you don't want to be stuck somewhere where you're not happy. So mm-hmm. I think it is really important. And if I had the money, which I did not because obviously my entire move was expensive. But if I did have the money, I would have gone to Arizona and checked out apartment complexes before mm-hmm. deciding on a spot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like when I moved, this, my initial challenge was also financial. Um, I was moving from Rochester to New York, obviously completely different cost of living. <laughs> my... Yeah. One bedroom, one bath apartment in Rochester was $500. <laughs> so cheap. And I mean, yes, I made less money, but still like it's, you know, not, not as, not a big a difference as moving to here. And yeah. when I moved to New York, I actually made less money because I was coming through AmeriCorps Vista because my whole thing of moving to New York was I needed opportunities that I didn't have in Rochester. And I had spent years like, volunteering and doing all these things and just not getting any opportunities in Rochester. And also like the, what I really wanted to do, they just didn't have opportunities for in Rochester. Mm. So when I moved to New York, I joined AmeriCorps Vista, which is um, volunteers in service to America. That's what the Vista stands for. And basically nonprofit organizations pay you poverty wages to do full-time work for them. That is the concept. That's the concept I'm gonna summarize it as. So I was paid um, $1,200 a month, $1,200 a month to do a full-time job for a nonprofit organization. Um, I was a development and communications coordinator and I did it because I was like, you know, at least I'm getting paid something, you know, it's not an unpaid internship. Um, and I was fortunate enough that when I moved here, I lived with my best friend at the time and her mother and like, um, her mother did not charge me a whole lot for the room that I had. So that was what made it possible and sustainable, but it was still like a big shift because I moved to like New York city and I'm like, I want to go out and I want to meet people and I want to do things. And it was so expensive. Um, and you know, I wanted to do a lot, do everything. And like just what I had, the money I had made it a little bit limited. And it also made it hard in terms of like food and trying to buy like good, healthy food. Yeah. When I first moved um, here, I lived in Cypress Hills, which is the northernmost neighborhood of East New York in Brooklyn. It's a food desert. There were mm-hmm. not a lot of grocery stores. The closest one to me was a key food. And for like folks that don't know key food, it's like a chain grocery. I'm assuming it's, I don't know if it's New York city based. I don't feel like I've seen key food outside of New York. Um, I don't think so. I can't remember seeing any key foods in New Jersey. We had Seatown. Yeah. Yeah. And they, um, but the key food that was nearest me was, and like, if you want to see like, structural racism and how that looks like just look at key food in different neighborhoods because <laughs> if you go to manhattan and look at that key food bougie as fuck nice as fuck organized the key food in cypress hills like the fruit was literally dusty i was like why is this 
fruit over here. Why is the why the produce dusty? And it was just bad quality. I couldn't buy it from there. So I had to like buy it when I, I worked in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. I had to buy my food over there because it was just better quality and it would be cheaper. So not only was it bad quality in the neighborhood, it yeah, it was um, more expensive. So that was an adjustment for me um, trying to like keep up with wanting to like do stuff and go out, but also trying to like um, just eat healthy food. And I did not like I would go get dollar pizza. I would go to um, Crown Fried and get little whatever, get my egg and cheese in the morning because it was affordable. Um but I was I was not eating well, and I I think that had consequences definitely on my body, but also like my immune system did not adjust very well. It took mm. me probably like three three four years. I used to get really really sick every single winter. Um, I would get a really bad cough. It would last me for months, um, and it just like every year would happen. And I'm so I'm assuming like part of it was just like. I'm going from a lower density area to a higher density area. It's a yeah. lot more germs for me <laughs> to deal with and germs that are probably a lot more aggressive because it's used to filtering through multiple bodies mm-hmm. to like strengthen itself. Um, so I wasn't ready <laughs> for that. And I, I got sick a lot. Um, I was poor, but I did have, I did have fun. You know, I feel like even if you don't have a lot, New York is a city where you can like, make it yeah i did the calculations and twelve hundred dollars a month if you're working 40 hours a week for four weeks is 750 so that's not right that is Mm -mm. not right uh that is terrible and it's it is sad the way that grocery stores work because i learned from listening to a podcast and also realizing that in real time like when you go to like fancy grocery stores like Whole Foods, when you mm-hmm. buy fruits and vegetables from there, especially the fruits, um, it takes days for it to ripe. Mm-hmm. Like you have to wait mm-hmm. for it to ripen versus when you get it from a place of like a low income grocery store, the food is coming to you already ripe or overripe and is about mm-hmm. to rot. So it makes a huge difference in where you do get your groceries from. And it's just wild just how systemic all of this is. Because even the food is a problem of like the timing that they get it to you and everything. So it's really disappointing to to hear that. And I'm sorry that that was um, your shift into New York. Although I do know that a lot of times when people are moving to New York, it's a huge transition. I feel like my transition was more the other way. Because I moved from, well, I mean, I never really lived um, in like low income, really. But moving from New Jersey to Arizona, there are way more health foods here. Like Mm. in New Jersey, you have Trader Joe's and you have Whole Foods and then you have ShopRite and Stop and Shop and things like that. Here you have like, you have options. Like you have Food City, which is more... um, Consider more low income. You're going to find those in those areas. But you also have like ranch markets, which are amazing because you get Mm -hmm. food directly from farmers to the stores. You have um, Sprouts, which is basically like more expensive Trader Joe's. You have Mm -hmm. Trader Joe's still. And we have Whole Foods and we have Natural Grocers, which is like somewhere between Sprouts and and Whole Foods, like priced things but you have so many options as far as like where to eat and then like the normal grocery stores like our fries which is a kroger but for Mm -hmm. some reason over here it's named fries so you have like multiple options of like where you want to go and then there's still walmart and everything so yeah you can get picky if you want to (laughs) yeah there's a lot of different options as far as food is concerned. So I'm really grateful for that. Because I remember the first time I came to Arizona, I went to a Sprouts. And I was like, wow, it's like Trader Joe's, but it's not Trader Joe's. And then I was like, but you also have Trader Joe's? I was like, oh, okay, this is for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was a difference. Also, like, they, there's a lot of alcohol over here. Um, like in grocery stores, do they do they sell it everywhere? They sell it in grocery stores. There are drive-through liquor stores, like at the CVS, the Seven Eleven. You can get alcohol anywhere, Um, and that was like a huge culture shock because I 
come from um, a, a county in New Jersey where they have like a blue law and mm. liquor is supposed to be completely separate from grocery stores. Yeah. So like we'll have a shop, right? And there's a grocery store for it. And then there is a liquor store shop like shop right or like they mm-hmm. might be together but there's a wall separating the two and the same for costco like there's an entrance for the from like everything that costco usually sells and there's a separate store entrance that's not like it's in the same building but not connected at all as far yeah. as the liquor store is so going from that to this where like i could buy liquor literally anytime i was just like whoa this is a lot but I don't yeah. know. Everybody, <laughs> the people that I'm around here don't drink liquor anyway. So mm-hmm. it's not like it was useful to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's wild. I'm pretty sure New York state law is like the same or similar because I know in New York City, like Trader Joe's has the wine store, but it's completely separate. And as far as I've seen, they can only have like beer and I think like 6% alcohol can be sold in a store with like food. But like in Rochester, like liquor stores had to close by 9 p.m. I don't know if that's state. I'm assuming that's municipal law over there. And um, on the week, on Sundays, it had to close by like 6 p.m. or something. Oh, so. wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't remember if liquor stores are open on Sundays. I do know that also like being in a blue law county a lot of stores are not open on Sundays. Like you cannot go clothes shopping on Sundays at all. The mall is closed mm-hmm. on Sundays, which was kind of funny because the the county I was living in had the blue law. So you're not allowed to do a lot on Sundays. Like um, you can go grocery shopping, you can go to restaurants, but you can't just shop for like, you know, a CD player or something on a Sunday. That's not going to happen. CD mm-hmm. player. Oh, wow. Oh, um, <laughs> you know you can't buy a tv on a sunday is what i'm trying to say but like if you were in but i also live in teaneck which is a jewish town so they don't open on saturdays most things are closed on saturdays within the town so it was like a lot of things that i had to keep in. i mean i was used to it like i'm sure somebody moved into teaneck from somewhere else it would be like what is this but <laughs> no. yeah, you can't really go out to buy things on Saturdays in the town and then you can't buy things on Sundays in the county. So mm-hmm. it was like move, weird moving to different places where people would be like, let's go to the mall. And I'm like, it's a Sunday. The, the mall's closed. And they're like, well, no, it's not. <laughs> so I still don't think I move around that much on Sundays because I'm so used to it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what would you say about what challenges did you have? And I know we've talked a lot about this challenges that you face with social connections after moving to Arizona. People are just different. Like the culture is just really different. And I don't mind sharing my thoughts on that. Like growing up. So like my, the town I grew up in, like there's a large Jewish community and then there's everybody else, which are a lot of people of color. Like there are a lot of black and Hispanic people there. I'm not really sure what it's like now, but that's the way it was when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. So because the Jewish community was so large um, and they had their own everything, like they had their own schools and community centers and temples, they would go to those things and that would leave pretty much all of the people of color in the public schools. So I grew up mostly around people of color. I could count on my hands how many white people I knew. So it was a huge culture shock with the very few times that I have moved because I'm not used to being around white people. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize I wasn't used to it because I knew white people <laughs> growing up. So And like, yeah. you know, I watch TV and it, like majority of the times it's white people on TV. So it's not like I wasn't familiar with their culture. It was more just that I just never, I'm, I've never been acquainted with white people the way um, that white people traditionally are. Like the white people who who I grew up with, they're comfortable within black culture without also appropriating black culture, at least Mm. from what I remember. Like just because- And I was gonna say white people that are used to being around black and brown people. Yeah. Yeah. Like they would still be themselves. Like they were still white. They listened to the music that they listened to and stuff, but they weren't, 
unaware of black culture like they're also used to that and would also listen to rap and would also like some of the lingo we would use they would use but they didn't appropriate it where they were trying mm-hmm. to talk like us or anything like that they still remain it's such a weird a weird response <laughs> yeah which what is weird like talks to you exactly so it was weird then like moving from there to the first college i moved um out to and then dealing with white people all the time Mm. And also one of the white girls that I went to school with in high school, she ended up going to the same college as me. So anytime I saw a short blonde girl, I always thought it was her. It was <laughs> never her. What, co- what college did you go to? I went to the College of New Jersey okay. for a year, but I just dealt with so much racism and mm. I was so not used to it because... I didn't grow up around it. Like from what yeah. I knew, racism was something that people dealt with in the South. I didn't mm. realize that it was happening here because it, it just was so unfamiliar to me. And then seeing those differences, I just wasn't able to articulate myself to defend myself. I also grew up in a Haitian household and my parents really didn't teach me about white people, though mm-hmm. I feel like black Americans do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really had no idea like what I was getting myself into when I first moved over there. And I was so unhappy I ended up um, transferring to a community college in my county and stayed there for two years before I transferred out and went to uh, Long Island for three Mm -hmm. years. So I did a few, like a little bit of moving around and the culture has definitely been different. But as far as Arizona, like black people are different here as far as like the black people who are from Arizona, like a lot of Mm -hmm. them tend to, I don't think they're really involved in black culture as much as black people from where I'm from. Yeah. So because of that, there feel, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of distance. Like black people don't say hi here. Mm -hmm. Black people who are from Arizona do not say hi to each other or to you. They don't acknowledge you. A lot of them tend to be in relationships with white people. Like there mm-hmm. are, I saw way more biracial children mm-hmm. in my time of being here than I ever have in my life. Mm-hmm. And it would be very rare that you would actually see black families with black, fully black children. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's odd. And then talking to some of the people here, some of the things that I heard was like just disappointing. Like um, there's this guy I know here, he's half indigenous, half black. Mm-hmm. And he went to a Black Lives Matter protest when the George Floyd situation was going on. And he was telling Black people at the protest, meanwhile, he is there in support of Black people. He was yeah. like, you guys have no culture. And I was just like... What? Yeah. And I was just like, how dare you say something like that? Do you have any... like?" And this we is have somebody you know? Culture. This is somebody I know. And he meant, he meant it like genuinely with no negative intentions. Because from what he, he's not associated with black culture the way he's associated with indigenous cultures. So he doesn't associate with himself with a culture as much as he associates himself with a nation because Mm. of like the indigenous nations that exist here in America. So he felt like nations are more like concrete, like they're more um, stable than culture because culture changes. And that was his point. And he also just didn't know he felt like because it changes so much, like what exactly could be black culture? And I was like, well, you're neglecting a lot. And also nations change too. Pakistan also, used to be part of India. And isn't that like an internalization of colonist colonizer ideas? The idea you know, that nationhood is like, because really more important. isn't it like, what are borders, right? Yeah. I think like, you know, he has a lot that he probably still needs to work out. And he also mm-hmm. is not invested in black culture in the same way he is in indigenous culture because he's more familiar with it being here in Arizona than mm-hmm. black culture since it's not as um, definite here. So because of that, you know, that's what he grew up thinking. And I felt it was interesting because after having a conversation with him, I felt horrible for him. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel bad for a lot of the people, black people here who know. do feel very like out of place because so many of them didn't grow up with black culture at all and were one of the very few black people that they knew or in their school or whatever which leads to things like a lot of there's nothing wrong with interracial dating but when you interracially date because you just don't see any pride in your own culture like that's Mm -hmm. sad so that's what it brought me to realize is that like 
there needs to be more of an established black culture out here. But I do think Mm -hmm. that is happening because there are so many black people moving here from everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are moving here from everywhere, which is good and it's bad. It's both. Yeah. Just like most things. It's good and it's bad because a lot of Mm -hmm. black people are getting displaced from where they are. And then they mm-hmm. have to move somewhere else. But what pro- the problem is, is that it displaces a lot of Mexican and indigenous people here too. Gotcha. So yeah, it's a, it's a vicious cycle and that's mm-hmm. what colonialism is. So yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. I think my, my experience like socially, when I moved, so definitely there's huge social differences between Rochester and um, New York City. Rochester's population is like 250,000. So, and so it's not very big. And that's like the city, including the surrounding suburbs. <laughs> so that would be like New York, including Long Island and whatever. So it's considerably smaller. Rochester is predominantly Black and Hispanic. However, the suburbs are, most of the suburbs are very white and very racist, very overtly racist. And so, I mean, and, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Oklahoma. So coming to Rochester, it wasn't like a huge shock. I was like, oh, okay, I already know this. This is racism. But then coming to New York, it was kind of mind boggling because um, in some ways, there's this kind of like post-racial society like idea in New York that some people have. Like I've met people that have grown up here who've been like, oh, I've never experienced racism. And I'm like, what? It's, it's literally like institutionalized in this entire city. But I think when you don't confront overt raci- racism, it makes it harder to see covert racism. And like yeah. covert racism to me is like really what's so insidious because it's literally like you're being gaslit by the system. They're like, no, we're not being racist, dude. And it's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> that's that's why we have the city and the structure that we have. So it was a little kind of disconcerting to like come up against that, you know, but at the same time, I was also getting into organizing here. So there were, you know, I had the community of people that like, oh yeah, we, we understand and we see that system as opposed to people that every day don't necessarily see that. And then simultaneously, I was like kind of like having this queer awakening. So for me, that was like what I was most concerned about because I was like, well, A, it's like it's super easy to find black people here. But then as I was coming out as queer, I'm like, oh, where are the queer black people? (laughs) That's what I'm looking for. And honestly, like, thanks. Thank you for the organizing community because organizing community is super queer and trans. (laughs) So that definitely was like one of my inroads to um finding queer community but and it's interesting because i was just talking to somebody recently about this um how this person did not know in new york city you will still find mask versus femme parties you will still find very (laughs) queer parties that are very heteronormative Mm -hmm. and i was like oh yeah i was like i don't see them in my feed because that's not a part of like my network my community but I have no doubt that that's not like st- stilettos versus Tim's like that. Those parties are not still happening. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Stilettos it's- versus Tim's. <laughs> and like femmes cannot be with femmes. Mask cannot be for ma- with mask. And so when I first started looking for queerness, of course, the very first things that to pop up were more white centered spaces, cubbyhole, Henrietta's, um, Stonewall, like the the standard spots but to find the parties you need to know the community you got to find the djs you got to find the the people that organize it otherwise you know they're not like always always going to be at the same place every time that's the thing the parties move (laughs) that's i think that's one thing that i really love about like new york uh queer scenes is that they are so protective of their spaces like they don't have a location for a reason Mm -hmm. it's not because they couldn't make it work it's because there are so many times where white people or straight people will infiltrate these spaces that they do not belong to and in order mm-hmm. to keep them safe, you got to keep it moving. And that needs to be something that, like, you know, very few people know. And I think that 
queer people in New York do a very good job at gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. Which keeps the community safe. I mean, I you know, at least within, yeah. like, you know, I mean, not as safe as we can. In as terms safe of as that, we can. Right. Not Especially when it comes that... to like outside people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Cause like, have you you've been to come on everybody or heard of it that space i don't know if i've heard of that one it's in um clinton hill brooklyn um and anyway it's like a kind of like a queer it's become a queer staple i honestly don't know if that's what it was when i first moved here but it definitely is now it actually unfortunately was like I, and i sent you a, the photo of this somebody smashed the window out because they have like a pride flag in the window um and they like posted it just to be like hey like the stuff is still happening but it's a very you know lgbtq friendly space at this point i'm pretty sure like pretty much all the events they have are lgbtq centered i've been to some great parties there some parties that are definitely black centered i know for the girls have had parties there but (laughs) white people love to go there like white queers love to go there because they have discovered it as a as a space for queers and so like if you go there on the average night or even if you get to the party early in the night that is like generally going to be like black and brown people it's going to be a lot of white people at the beginning of the night because they come there in droves so like i hadn't really thought about that before about the need to move the parties but it's very accurate because yeah they con- they show they up. They will show up and they will conquer that space just like they've conquered, you know, yep. colonized everything else. And it's really frustrating. Um, right? Read the room. Because sacred, yeah. <laughs> and I know there are a lot of people who think about exceptional whites, but there's no such thing because yeah. all you need is one and one will exactly. bring another friend and then another friend. And then before right. you know it, and the thing is, the exceptional white is not going to come. Like, that's That the is thing. true. That You're not going to be in that the space. The exceptional white would respect the space and recognize it's not for them. That is very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People always want to bring their white partner. And I'm like, the, mm-hmm. the, the greatest way your white partner can show me that they are an accomplice is by not coming. Yeah. That's how. Okay. You were invited to so many spaces. There are so many spaces that literally welcome you in if this space exactly. isn't for you you should be able to respect that, mm-hmm. that and it's so interesting how that happens to black folks but it doesn't happen to any other communities like you could be muslim and go to a mosque you're not going to see christians at the mosque <laughs> like, right you know, why is it exactly like this they feel so comfortable being in i do not understand space yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious of like if there was any like emotional or spiritual shifts for you from making such a drastic move from Rochester to New York. I think like the biggest like emotional impact was that I was leaving like I grew up in Rochester. So that was the community I knew, um, the friends. So when I moved to New York, I had like my best friend that I was living with, but I didn't have a community yet. Plus, like coming out, I was like, I was starting to meet people, but then I got, I was like, I really want queer community. I like started to recognize that. So I struggled emotionally, just like feeling very lonely, wanting to like connect with people. And then like spiritually, I felt really energetically drained And that I was not anticipating. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just because, I mean, not just that I moved to a bigger city, but I picked one of the biggest cities in the United States. Um, And I had not been around that density of people, like, in my life. And I would, you know, I worked in Williamsburg off of Marcy. So that's the last stop on the J line before you get to Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And I could physically feel myself untensing feeling better the further I got away because I like Cypress Hills is actually it's almost very um it's very residential it's almost like very suburban just because it's like families it's people that have been there for a long time and it's I was also right next to the park which I feel like helped a lot and like thank my spirit guides thank like ancestors for like manifesting that it helped so much to be like be next to nature although fuck the mosquitoes because 
China Park has <laughs> mad mosquitoes. <laughs> um, but I felt so much better the closer, the further I got away from Manhattan, the closer I got like towards home. Um, and I think, you know, it was just like, it was a lower density area, but I was not ready, especially like where I, where I was at at that time, like in my spiritual journey, like now I shield myself. I shield myself energetically every time I go out and I can automatically tell the difference. I didn't do any of that. Like I wasn't like cleansing myself and I felt really weighed down. It took a lot of adjusting. It took a lot of like getting real with myself on like, what can you handle and when do you Mm. need to like hold back? Because especially when I'm lonely or when I'm in a new space, I have a tendency to just want to go out all the time. And like, that's like a a bad coping mechanism, coping mechanism of mine is just to be out all the time. But I was like, no, you need to like sit back. You need to like clear your energy. You know, that's something I started having to do in terms of like being very intentional about what spaces I went to being intentional about like, leave when you're ready to leave. Like uh, you don't need to stay the whole time if you're not feeling the vibe. Yeah. So that, that, um, I had to do a lot to fix that, but what about you? I was in a really bad space before I moved to Arizona. Like, um, I was incredibly depressed for over, for like a year at least. And funny enough, mm-hmm. now that I think about it, especially with this conversation, I think it's, it's coming full circle because I'm realizing I started getting depressed as soon as my best friend left. Like, um, Mm. you know, my best friend used to organize with us and she moved to Chicago for, uh, for a paid position in the organization we were in. And when she moved, I don't know, I guess like I didn't realize how grounded I was just having her in proximity to me and then Mm. having her leave. I think that when I think about home, it changes the way that I perceive home because I had a childhood home growing up and that means a lot to me, but my home is with the people I care the most about and the people I feel like I can be whole around more than it is an actual location. Yeah. So with her leaving that like threw off my stability a bit in a way that I wasn't expecting Things just got hard, I think. Like, I also started having a lot of problems within the organization with one person in particular, but that Mm -hmm. person had a lot of power in the Mm -hmm. organization, so it was not the person to have problems with. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about being in that organization we were in, but for me, it took a lot to then realize that the ideals that the organization puts on us were ideals that I... Um, felt that were very close to me. Mm-hmm. So I guess the reality mm-hmm. of dealing with the situation with that leader made me realize that those ideals are not upheld the way mm. that they say that it is. And yeah. that reality hit for me. And it's like, it took everything because the community that I was involved with, I was no longer involved with because the community I thought provided a home for me was gaslighting me. Mm-hmm. And that was really heavy for me because I felt like I was being betrayed mentally and emotionally. And also like, it really hurts, especially as somebody who sits in these intersections. Um, It really hurts when somebody who also sits in the exact same intersections as you is a person who's harming you because you expect it from people who are more privileged. Like if a white person hurts me, if a white man hurts me, I'm not going to be sitting over your breast about it. Like I I saw it coming. (laughs) But from somebody who says that they hold the same ideas as me and then they don't when it comes to their ego, it really hurts. So that was really hard for me to accept. And it took me a really long time to finally leave because Mm -hmm. I just was still holding on to these ideals thinking that, oh, we all have the same ideas. When the truth is that unfortunately there's a lot of power, hunger in there. Mm -hmm. And then also I was take, I took on two jobs and was doing prerequisites for me to go to grad school because I knew that I wasn't happy and I needed to leave. I think going to Cuba the year before the depression kicked in actually made me realize I wasn't happy because I went to the countryside. I was in Vinales and mm. we like we stayed in a home that like had a direct view of this like gigantic mountain. Wow. And 
I didn't realize how grounding that was, but it's incredibly grounding to be near a mountain and to see one every day because it kind of pulls you back in. Um, And on top of it, every night, it's like this blanket of stars just all across the sky. And like the longer you look up, the more stars you see. And I have never seen stars like I've seen when I was in Cuba. So I realized coming back to New Jersey that I needed that and I didn't have that groundingness that I needed, especially with my friend moving away. And I needed to figure out what that was going to look like for me. And when I applied to grad school, you know, I looked into coming to Arizona because it was honestly, the ancestors were just like, they kept putting in my head. Like you never, mm-hmm. when you live on New, in New York and New Jersey, like you live on the East coast, you don't hear about nothing besides what's going on in New York and what's going on in California. And outside of That's those two fact. things, no one cares what's going on in the middle. This is what's all, happening? This is no, what we the don't fuck. know. That's what's in the middle. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know and we don't care. So mm-hmm. to hear, like, Arizona just kept popping up. Arizona tees, Arizona jeans, Arizona this, Arizona that, Phoenix <laughs> this, Phoenix that. Like, it was everywhere. I was like, all right, ancestors, I see that you want me to go to Arizona. I'm going to go to Arizona. And when I finally did my grad interview, when I got my um, did my interview here in, in Arizona, like, the first thing I did when I came here was I went to Sedona and climbed one of the Red Rocks over there, Cathedral mm-hmm. Hill, I think. And it was beautiful and all the mountains and seeing them everywhere. Every time you go on a highway, you see mountains. You're never without a view of a mountain, at least in the valley. So that's already grounding. And then seeing the stars at night when you're in Sedona or Flagstaff or anywhere where there's not a lot of light pollution. So the further you move away from um, Phoenix, the more stars you see. And I realized this is where I need to be. Um, obviously it's not like Cuba, but I needed that groundingness and moving here gave that to me. And it also transitioned me from being completely and incredibly depressed. Like Mm. I was not sober for a year. (laughs) Like Mm. I was just so unhappy. I would wake up crying every morning. So then coming here. And as soon as I come here, I was like sober for months. I was so happy and energetic and optimistic like just my entire energy shifted and so many doors opened up for me and still open up to me to this day. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, So Arizona is just where I needed to be. And spiritually that has helped me a lot because I was living with my family and they don't agree with ATRs. Like they grew up, they grew up very Christian and very Catholic. Mm -hmm. So that's where the ideology is and being Haitian voodoo is um, demonized. So because mm-hmm. I'm hanging out with crystals and candles, they're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, get this out. Yeah. So they've actually taken my things um, without my consent before. And- we began experiencing some technical difficulties that cut off Michelle mid-sentence. Join us as we jump back into the conversation. Recording. Also, like, the greatest part about moving is that you're it's a new slate Hmm. you were in the past you can let go of and move into something new for me I grew up in a very abusive household and I lived with my family until I was 27 on and off because you know I was away at college and one of the biggest fears I had about moving out here was what if I turned out to be everything that I, I guess my family had told me I was Mm. And I remember Shanice, one of my closest friends, she told me, like, all of those you have to let go of because your family's abusive. So Mm. it's a new start. And I know that a lot of people, when they're trying to transition, like, spiritually, mentally, and to become the best version of themselves, if they're in the same environment, it's Mm -hmm. really hard to change. And moving gives you the opportunity to change your environment and create something new for yourself that's less toxic. And that matters a lot because you can't, you can only grow to the extent that your environment allows you to. So being able to change environments and really get a chance to see yourself as who you fully are is very different. And that was a huge transition for me in the best way, because I went from thinking I was this malicious, manipulative person Mm -hmm didn't want the best for people who wasn't kind, who wasn't loving, who was unlovable 
to finding out that I'm kind, I'm lovable, I'm creative, mm-hmm. I'm smart. Yes, you are. You know, like I want the best for people and I will do what I can to try to help people to strive towards their best. Like I found out so many of these things from just moving out of the toxic environment into my own space where I don't have to walk in and feel someone's negative energy yeah. that come in the door. The only energy that's here is mine. And I yeah. shift energy in the space. Yes. So um, that was really important for me. And I think anybody, especially people who experience some form of abuse, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, physical, I mean, mental, uh, emotional, psychological, like any form of abuse, like live on your own, like mm-hmm. make sure you can try to live on your own because you get to learn a lot about who you are. And that matters so much more because then you can move way more intentionally throughout life without letting everything else that happened in the past weigh you down. And I know for me that made such a big difference because like now I know who I am and what energy I carry because my space carries it. Mm-hmm. And light and that matters a lot. And I'm also very protective of who, come, who comes into my home. Not, <laughs> not even same. The I, <laughs> yeah, I don't just let anybody in our home. Your inner sanctum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that matters a lot. So if you can live by yourself for a few years, figure yeah. out what that's like. Don't have people moving in and out with you. Just literally live alone because uh-huh. that matters so much as far as figuring out who you are and what you really want and desire out of life. It really that's... does. And I know that's hard for like a lot of people living in New York City, the New York City area yeah. to live alone. Right. Don't stay. <laughs> right. And the thing is like if you can make it work in New York City, you can make it work in a lot of other places. I like I know a lot of New Yorkers are not gonna like this, but I swear to you, every New Yorker needs an opportunity to move out of New York. Because one, you need to really figure out if that's really where you wanna be. Cause uh-huh. being able to live somewhere else where like majority of your money is not going to your living matters significantly it changes your mental health Mm -hmm. significantly knowing that you can afford rent and also enjoy life at the exact same time (laughs) and unless you're incredibly wealthy you don't really get that luxury in new york and i also Mm -hmm. feel like new york is an emotionally abusive relationship it is so it is and it was an emotionally abusive relationship during the pandemic that did not give anything back (laughs) exactly it doesn't give back a lot and i think it matters it like just just open your horizons like if you want to go back to new york go back to new york because i get it like new york is truly magical and there's a lot of things that i truly miss about being over there that i do not have here like black queer gender non-conforming people i don't really see that much of in arizona but like being able to have a washer and dryer in Mm -hmm. unit and have my own space that's like 700 yeah. square feet with my own bedroom and my own kitchen. Like, mm-hmm. that matters. I have a pool and a gym. And it's all for the same amount of money. And right. I live alone. And you cannot do that for the same price that I am doing here yeah. in Arizona. You cannot so. put a price tag on peace, on security, on stability. Yes. So especially if you're having problems with peace, security, and stability, Give yourself an opportunity to move out and then really see if if New York is truly for you. Because, yeah, you can if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. But, like, remember what that means. That means it's really fucking hard. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. That's why I say, like, you know, it's, it's a tough, tough city. Yeah. Um, but life does not have to be tough, right? It doesn't have to be that hard. Like, live somewhere else and realize it doesn't have to be that hard. And also, right. it makes you cherish people a lot more, too. Because when I do mm-hmm. see a Black, queer, or non-conforming person, you best believe I'm excited. Because exactly. <laughs> I know that I don't have that same luxury as I did before. And I think, like, people can get really wrapped up here and finding people that they feel like are the same or similar. And they're not necessarily seeking people that compliment them. Yeah, that too. And I feel like Right. When you're in a situation where you don't just have everybody that fits a similar bucket as you, you have to be really intentional. And there's something about that intentionality that it's like, oh, we really vibe. We really like compliment each other. There's something about you that like, you know, speaks to something in me as opposed to like, I like the way you dress or the way you look or whatever. We share (laughs) the similar identities. And it's like, that don't mean we we're aligned. Right. That is true. That is very true. What you, what you were saying earlier about the, the orb you were in, like, that was definitely a bittersweet experience for me as well. 
um sweet because i met i met you i met a lot of amazing people like yeah but it, it was tough it was hard work that we were doing it was triggering work that we were doing i emotionally mentally was not ready and that's why i left and i tried to like get back in through healing right and trying to like going through that experience what i saw was like there are people that are not being held that are not being cared for and the way that we're saying that we want to do it but we're not actually embodying it and i was i was like i can't do this i'm not mentally emotionally in a place to do this um so i had to I had to leave to take care of myself and i i heard actually recently that that um the group is not doing well which is disappointing I, mean, I, don't I feel know like what I just happened. haven't heard about the group. It's not doing well. <laughs> I've never heard of it thriving. I um, mean, they, they said, I heard it imploded was the word I heard. Oh, um, okay. That's so sad. It is. It was, that's sad. And it, it, apparently this was during the pandemic, which makes it even like sadder. Cause like, that's the time of all the times you would figure, you know, people would be coming together. Um, yeah. But, you know, I always have love for that, that community, but I was Same. like, I just can't be a part of it. Yeah, that community got me towards my spirituality. That community helped me to realize the cycles I need to break in my own lineage. That community brought me to a lot of my friends that I am very close with. It helped me to grow with friends that I met before and we organized together and we got that much closer. That community brought me you. Like, I can never, like, say it was terrible. It was, like, no, I can say it's terrible. I can (laughs) hold space for both the fact that it was terrible at times but also an incredible blessing because mm-hmm. i learned so much about my identity and my politics i am more confident as a black queer person now than i ever would have been if i did not have that organization so there's always going to be good and bad things to everything you know yeah. life always carries both yeah i agree i feel like you gave some really great advice on moving to a new place um so some advice i would give to somebody moving to a new place or experiencing because i feel like even though we're talking about moving when i was thinking about this i was like moving is such a again a destabilizing experience Mm -hmm. but it could be leaving a job it could be ending a friendship it could be a breakup um it could be a lot of different things that are destabilizing um and one of the things that i found that i struggled with when i moved was this concept of home and i loved how you talked about you know when your friend left and moved you had a hard time because similarly i feel like for me home is where my heart is and so when my heart is with people is with community and then i leave that space i feel like i've left my home and so one of the challenges for me that i still like work on because I, i I mean, I moved, you know, six years ago, but since then I had to move two other times. I was like, okay, I need home to be myself because I can't keep getting destabilized just because I'm physically moving or because something is changing. I've changed jobs or I've changed relationships. Home needs to be here, you know, my body, my heart, my spirit. And that way, wherever I go, I'll always be home because if home is me, then like I'm always home. Yeah. I've had, I created a mantra that was my body is safe, my body is home, home is safe. And that was also because like I was dealing with a lot of like feeling like my body itself wasn't safe. And so like, you know, my body is home and my body isn't safe. And like, what does that say? And so I had to like, as a mantra I use, and I used to say to myself like every day just to kind of stabilize myself and remind myself like, you're safe now, especially because I feel like when you've experienced trauma, a lot of times a situation that triggers you, it feels unsafe, but you have to ask yourself, is this really unsafe or am I just feeling triggered by it? Mm. You know, do, is there a fight here or am I just feeling triggered to fight? That's, you know, that takes a lot of work, right? Rewiring our brains, rewiring our bodies, not to respond to situations in a certain way. Um, So that's why I'm like, this is ongoing work because I still feel triggered. I'm like, I'm ready to fight. But I'm like, there's no fight, Serena. Like, calm down. Like, you're safe right now. You are not in immediate bodily danger. Our sympathetic nervous system, its purpose is for immediate bodily danger. You know, whether and that could be like right mental, emotional. That's that's valid. 
but it's like in most situations, it's like I'm not in immediate danger and me being in that fight or flight is not helping me. It's getting me amped up. It's, you know, contributing to anxiety, depression. So I've like really been working on just grounding myself into my own body um, because I don't want to stay in New York forever. <laughs> like, yeah. Sure, I'm going to this country. And, yeah, that too. That's I've been thinking about that a lot as well, like leaving this country. And I'm like, I want to feel ready to do that. Because right now I'm like, I don't 100% feel ready to move to another country. And I'm like, I feel safe because I'm like, do I know the language? Do I know the community? Do I know where I can go? And so I'm like, I really want to ground myself into feeling like my body is safe and that I have what I need to do to keep myself safe. So do you have any other advice you'd love to give the people? Save your money for when you're moving so that you can hire movers. Um, <laughs> yes. Don't play games yes. with that. Especially once you get to a certain age, because when you start hitting 28, your body don't be moving the same. You can't be doing yes. all that. You can't be moving couches upstairs and stuff. No, just hire some no. movers. Please. <laughs> please save your save your spine. Save your nervous system. Save yourself. Save, your save your friends. <laughs> yeah, save your friends. Like, you know, we're not at the age where, you know, pizza is enough to move people in and out. So that um if you have to move across the country, do you hire somebody to take your car unless you're willing to do a road a road what is it called? A cross road trip. Yeah, I'm black. I'm not comfortable <laughs> doing that. I don't know the spots. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not risking it. So <laughs> You're like they didn't make a new book. What is that? The yeah, green book? What was it called? I was trying to look for the green book and I could not find one that's like up to date. So I'm not risking that. Um what else? No, I feel like I said everything. Live alone if you have an opportunity. If you live in New York, move out of New York for a little bit and see what that's like. Cause it's nice mm-hmm. to know that you know most of your money doesn't have to go to your rent. Um, as far as new slates, try to create new slates. Don't bring yes. old people into yep. new places. Oh my god, yep. don't do that. Like, nope. don't bring an ex into your new home. They're they're an ex for a reason. Keep them out. Don't invite people into your space that you don't feel intuitively aligned. Cleanse your space as often as you can. That's that's pretty much it. Just try to make it a home and really be protective because you do not want entities in your home mm-hmm. that you do not welcome in. And this happened to me, so use me as yeah. an example. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so our last segment is Shine Theory. Shine Theory. Okay. So I have a Shine Theory for this week. It's called Crisp U.S. Thrift. So this is for all my Arizonians. I hope that's what you guys are called. Um, <laughs> Crisp U.S. Thrift is founded and co-owned by T, an AZ native fashion historian and vintage specialist and educator. And their other half of who also co-owns this the 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 thrift store is Kyra, who's a curator and a and a creative director. Crisp US Thrift is a name that pays homage to the unsung history of an American revolutionary named Crispus Crispus Attucks. And there they have sewing classes called Grandma Hands, where you use um, textile machines and practices, and they also teach you social and racial impacts of the fashion industry um, while you're learning the sewing basics. And they also repurpose worn vintage items and turn it into everyday um, usable household items. So they're about sustainability and repurposing and they're a Black-owned, queer-owned um, business here in AZ. And they do a lot of pop-ups at different um, farmer's markets. I definitely have seen them at Spaces of, spaces of Opportunity multiple times. And they're a cool business. So if you're here in Arizona or if you're anywhere else, they're also trying to raise money so that they can continue on with their business as well as to keep up with the classes. So if you would like to invest in them, go to crispusthrift.us and help some black people out. That's right. And we will link this in the um, body of the message as always in the body of um, wherever you're viewing this. We will put that in so you can 
link directly to it. Support Black by Black. And I love a good vintage store. Yes. I was like, this is vintage. Vintage. <laughs> it's yes. been worn before. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been worn better by me. <laughs> right? <laughs> Listen, I was doing vintage back when it wasn't cool, okay? I was in uh, Goodwill. <laughs> I was in Salvation Army. <laughs> yes, before it became like a huge thing. Oh my goodness. Yeah, whatever. My vintage is just curated Goodwill stuff. That is literally all it is. Yeah, it is. Somebody picked through it and organized it more pristinely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So thank you all for listening and we will catch you next time on From the Root Podcast. Bye.